you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Pete Najeri and Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, did Mark Zuckerberg pass the D.C. test? The traders tell us whether they liked the testimony and if the stock is in the clear. Plus, Bank of America says the Bitcoin bubble is bursting as we speak, and they have a fancy chart to back up that claim. But Danny Masters, a former J.P. Morgan trader who has gone full crypto, says it's not bursting, it's bottoming. And he's got a fancy chart of his own that might have you getting bullish on Bitcoin again. But first, we start not with tweets about missiles or trade wars, but instead with something that is really scary. The Fed and what looks like the end of easy money. Yes, the trade war and even the escalating tensions over Syria seem to be taking a backseat to the Fed. The first Fed minutes of the Jerome Powell era was a bit more hawkish than many had thought, with the Fed moving from an accommodative to a neutral policy that sent stocks back to the lows. We take a look at all the threats uh, to this rally. Is perhaps the Fed the biggest one? Pete. Well, you know, it is today. And I think the, the reason I say that is every single day there's a new headline that actually is moving everything around, right? I mean, it started off the day with Syria. It started off with Donald Trump. And then it moves towards the Fed. And then we move back towards Facebook. Then we go towards technology, oil, the commodities themselves. I think it's just literally that's where we are. And I think the most important thing is we're all looking forward to Friday. Because Friday we finally get to look back and say, all right, how are the earnings? What are the real results? And then we actually have some facts in front of us. But I think the Fed... You know, the Fed's going to give people a little bit of scare, but at the same time, they have been very transparent. I think Powell will be just as transparent as the previous group. So because of that, I'm not as nervous as I think the market's reaction today against the Fed. What do you think? Well, Easy Money was a Rodney Dangerfield movie, no? I mean, Lousy it was, and it was no not, idea. It was not that great. That's, no that's what idea. I think. I think Pete's right. Uh, three months ago, you know, we, we thought there was nothing that could derail this market. Now every day there's a new issue. And, and I won't run through a long list of the fresh, you know, kind of issue of the day. There will be another one tomorrow probably. Yep. Um, what I say about earnings season is I don't think that this is necessarily going to be the holy grail and that, that catalyst that's going to suddenly have us forget all of these things. And I would argue that at the end of the first quarter, when we were pricing in fourth quarter earnings, we priced in a lot of first quarter numbers once we got a tax bill. So um, I'm not someone that's going to, I, I, Pete's probably going to say, great numbers we're going to have in the first quarter. I think he's right. Um, it's just a question of, is the market cheaper? I'm really talking a lot for you no, right I now. No, I appreciate it. Okay. No, it's um, but I, I think the things that <laughs> help me a little bit is on positioning. Bull bear indices came out today. You saw that bulls are at their lowest level since pre-election, which means this market is getting a little more pessimistic. I think that's what it needs. Well, maybe that's the, uh, the lens through which everything is being perceived, right? The sentiment lens, and if people are getting more bearish. I just find it, well, I think it's interesting when you go to the negative oh. side, you went right to Dan. You know, what? You know that was a no, natural. I'm just kidding, Dan. I had no idea that was just a natural I reaction. Mean, I, Dan probably happy. To uh, I, I think sentiment is really important here, especially when you consider the fact the S&P is still down what eight, nine percent from its all-time highs that it made in last January. And I think we have to be really clear here. I think expectations for strong Q1 earnings are baked in the cake. Okay, it's just that simple. And then all those other things, the Fed, geopolitical, the chaos in Washington, those are the sort of 
the things we're starting to see hit business confidence. We're starting to see hit consumer confidence. We've seen weak retail sales numbers. And that's the thing. I think that when we go back and look, if January, that January 26th, high was the high for 2018, we're going to look back and say that was pretty obvious because we really pulled forward a lot of demand for a whole host of things after that tax bill. So to me, um, I'm optimistic that we're going to have a decent economy. I'm optimistic that the Fed is going to continue to be transparent and probably not, not make a huge mistake. But it's all those other things that we can't quantify right now. And I think it's a good reason why the VIX is stuck around But if you think it's 20. priced in, the real quick question back to you yeah. then would be, what if it's extended past what is priced in? What if the earnings are that much over what we already think they're going to be in terms of being priced Listen, in. Listen, it goes Can back get... to this. If we see cautious guidance for Q2 in the balance of the year and the stock market doesn't get hit hard, then you go and buy it because at that point it's starting to discount some of you know this growth that we can see in the second, third quarter, that sort of thing. So to me, I just think you, know, you have to take a very measured approach. I don't think the Fed should be the big issue at this moment. Right. I think it's the geopolitical stuff, yes. and I think the markets are sleepwalking through what's going on in D.C. right and now. And I agree. There's a lot of things to be worried about right now on top of the Fed, but remember, Remember, you make this point all the time. It was I two, I know I'm in your say, head. You're in my head. It was two months ago with that jobs report that set off this bout of volatility that we are still in. February 2nd, fe Thursday was a February 1st. Tim said that I think there's a good chance that good news will be bad news tomorrow. And you got a good wage growth number that Friday. And that market went down 670 Dow points, the biggest move we had seen in years in terms of the Dow. market was chugging along up to that. So to answer your question, I do think the concerns about the Fed, you know, listen, I don't think they're necessarily going to take a misstep either, but that doesn't mean the market won't react in a negative way if, in fact, they do what is correct. So I think it's been the Fed all along. I think everything else is sort of noise, Facebook tariffs, everything else going on. I think the Fed is what's really in play. This isn't even about a Fed mistake. I mean, you know, again, let's not judge this Fed. I don't think it's even it, no one's doing that. Um, but. Rates have to move higher because we shouldn't be at super accommodative policy with the economy growing at whatever it's growing at. It's certainly not a time for rates to be this low. If you looked at that CPI number, the headline was like, oh, kind of a relief. If you look at the core, um, mm -hmm. it's actually pretty hot. You know, and I think if you look at the year over year numbers, uh, we got inflation data. We got PPI yesterday. that was the highest since 2011. Inflation is there. And you there's a you know, if you listen to Steve Leisman, who does a good job with this stuff, you're actually having some of these numbers that are actually starting to run off so that year over year numbers are going to start to look a lot hotter. We actually had some deep inflationary forces which are baked into these numbers that are keeping them low. Um, I think the Fed is very focused, and I think these, these minutes today tell you a Fed that has to move. I agree. And speaking of Steve Leesman, he was on Power Lunch today when those minutes came out, and we were having just a little bit of back and forth there in terms of, I said, I thought that the minutes were a little bit hawkish. I mean, when you hear statements, the appropriate path for federal funds rate over the next years would likely be slightly steeper than they previously expected. Right. I read that as hawkish. He said, I don't think it's hawkish. And it was just all our... our context, my context was more hawkish than it's, they sounded like right. before. And it's all been about it's interpretation, relative. right? It's, it's all relative. relative. It's interpretation. Everybody right. seems to have a slightly different tint in terms of the lens they're looking at. So, yes, I think the markets themselves are, are, are looking at the Fed. You, you brought that up, Guy, about the fact that it really is. All the other stuff is just noise. But the Fed is certainly something everybody's going to be focusing on, and they're going to continue to, but the earnings, I think, will trump that, at least for the few first Why do the financials uh, go down the most in terms of You know, it just seems like... That the prospect of rising the, rates. Yeah, which seems interesting, right? That the financials got hammered as hard as they did today. I was very surprised that they got hit that hard. But they had a huge day just the other day. Yeah, Real quick, I don't think the Fed's going to make... I don't, I don't think it is about a mistake. They might yeah. do everything exactly right. what they have to do. It doesn't mean the market won't react negatively to 
to that. I mean, I think right. the mistake has been thinking the Fed always has the markets back. They've had it for seven years. Of I don't course. necessarily I'm getting, know they I'm have getting, it now. I'm, not, I'm just getting dizzy looking at that shirt right now. Sorry. I mean, there's all kinds of... You're picking of on his shirt? Have you looked <laughs> in the mirror? I mean, it's like the pot climbing the kettle black. Oh, sorry. Did I say that? I'm worried about the folks at home becoming hypnotized by that. There's a TV thing called Moraine. This shirt is... But it's a Yankee pinstripe. But nice comeback for Guy, Mel. You can't fight your own battles? You got Mel sticking up for you? I didn't ask her to stick up for me. Whatever. It's my normal reaction to your shirt. Whatever. Thanks. Move on. Thanks, Mel. Well, while the markets may be shrugging off the geopolitical tension, commodities are going wild. All of the trade and nuclear war talks giving a big boost to crude and gold. Gold, in fact, hitting its highest level since August of 2016. Crude hitting a more than three-year high. Our next guest says there's even more room to run. Let's go off the charts with Todd Gordon of TradingAnalysis.com. Hi, Todd. Hey, Melissa. Yeah, sure. Crude oil is uh, looking amazing here. We're going to first start up on the monthly. Okay, this is a semi-log chart. Very important to remember that we have all the prices set based on percent gain. So that's going to change where the technicals are. Basically, what you see here is the life of this downtrend in crude. It looks like the market wants to come up and try to test about this $85 level. That's the decision in this downtrend that began since the credit crisis. So with that in mind, let's head off the monthly down to the weekly. Here's that same line. The graphics department did a great job drawing this in. So I just think that's going to be a, a, a the upside attraction looks like crude oil with all the geopolitical tensions, weakness in the dollar, et cetera, et cetera, inflation coming on the pike. That looks to be uh, the next upside target. And if we get through 85, then we could be going significantly higher. Another uh, commodity here is gold. And again, just really not much to add to this chart. Just to put the gold market in perspective on the monthly, look how far gold has come and look how insignificant this decline appears to be up on the monthly chart. That's really nothing. Uh, gold's been incredibly quiet as we see as we go to the next chart on the weekly. Um, kind of a similar setup to crude oil. We've got obviously a basing pattern here. What I'll draw your attention to is it looks like a bit of an inverse head and shoulders here. You got a left shoulder, you got the head, you got the right shoulder. It looks like it could be blast off. I put on option positions today that don't pay off until we get up to about 1500 in the next three months. So I think gold is finally ready to go. Um, all that volatility that we saw over the last couple of months, who, you know, we thought gold would have been higher. It just feels like now is the time it wants to go. So with all that being said, here's the S&P 500. From my point of view, I just think we're in a boring range. With all the news that's going on here, you look at the price action over the last two weeks, really just chop and mess and noise. Don't get caught up into it. And since that January 28th high, we have been in a big old triangle. I think we're going to come up and challenge the upper end here. I don't think we're ready to break through just quite yet looking at all the sectors. I think it's going to be a little bit more consolidation heading into uh, earnings season. Um, does the chart of the dollar play into your view of crude and gold? Yeah, you know, I was just talking to Tim in the, in the green room about that. Tim, I think, is bullish, not to put words in your mouth. He's bullish. I see a dollar that continues to be in free fall. That dollar DXY 88 is going to be key. If we break through 88, there's long term, like the whole low in the dollar is, is in jeopardy, this uptrend about the 84. If you break through 84 in that dollar index, from a technical point of view, from an Elliott Wave point of view, this whole move off the dollar was an ABC correction, and there's a longer term downtrend in the dollar, which is just going to exacerbate that commodity rally. All right. Thanks, Todd. Todd Gordon of TradingAnalysis.com. How do you, you know, trade you this? Hold on a second. You sort of glossed over the real. You buried the, what, is what? The, what do you people call that? Burying the lead. She, had, she, she has, buried the lead. She and hasn't I'm saying, said anything yet. No, what I know because she was going to say, what do you think about Todd's energy call, Tim? But the real question is, but, what, what were you and Flash Gordon doing in the well, green room? And I was gonna find out they're, they're chatting charts, obviously. <laughs> By the way, I know as much about Elliott Waves as I do about Elliott Gould. But I'll tell you what. We keep our best stuff 
for the real show, not in the green room. But Todd is right. We were talking about the dollar. My view is that twin deficits and, and some reality about the trade and possibly the economy are things that keep the dollar not from necessarily breaking out. But I will say this. The dollar's put in a lot of bad news. And I think 13 percent down over the last 18 months. I think you see around 88. There's been a bottoming range. I think it's actually been fighting above the 50. So technically, I actually think the dollar's in not that bad a place. I don't like gold. And I'll tell you what. I think gold had the perfect storm to rally for, for two years. And I think it's range-bound. And if anything, do we suddenly not think interest rates are going higher? Because if rates are going higher, gold is meandering or going lower. What do you think about gold? To make sense, listen, every time I've believed in gold, it's disappointed. It ends in tears. There's going to be a day you walk in, I believe that gold's going to be up $100. People are going to discount. It's going to happen again the next day. The old story is gold's not a story until it is one. It's not a story right now. I'll say this about energy, though. Halliburton at 14 and a half times forward earnings get into earnings on April 23rd to me is pretty interesting, especially if you compare it to Slumberger at 21 times. So if you're looking for a play that I think is cheap into earnings, Halliburton will get you. Yeah, I just got to say this about that, um, you know, the commodity call that he's making here. When you think about it, you're talking about interest rates going higher. You're talking about higher input costs. I just don't know how this is not a bigger headwind because we do have global tightening that's going on. And if you're talking about what hits the skids for this market, I think it's the combination of all those things after, you know, just a, such a long period of accommodative monetary policy, you know? But don't you, think, don't you think we're in a still reflationary environment, an inflationary environment, which is great for commodities? If anything, I mean, yeah. I think oil is going higher. If I, if I graph oil against the dollar... And over the last I just 10 think the years, I think it's going higher. I think the combination of those things, um, you know, could be a real problem. That's what I'm saying. I tend to think oil's going higher as well, and I've actually been adding in the energy space to a, a number of names. I already have about four on. I'm not going to tell you all of them, but PSX I added to today. As a matter of fact, Phillips 66 mm -hmm. had some option activity that was huge. I like that name anyway, so it gave me an excuse to buy in. And I always go back to the old chips. I always find something in the chips. I know this is not in the commodities realm, but if you look at the chips, I think there are names that we don't bring up nearly as often as other names. Marvell I bought today as well. I like that name, and I saw some paper come in there. I think it's going higher. All right, coming up. Looks like Mark Zuckerberg has won over both Washington and Wall Street. The stock is up 7% so far this week. But did he win over the traders here? They will grade his performance next. Plus, a former J.P. Morgan trader goes full-on crypto. He launched one of the first Bitcoin funds back in 2014. He'll be here to tell us why he thinks the Bitcoin boom is just getting started. And later, Pete here stepping up to the plate to pitch one of the beaten down oil stocks he says is about to break out. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Facebook under fire or Zuckerberg got grilled in Washington again today, but maybe he should do it more often because the stock has rallied for the second day in a row. Or Julia Borson's live outside of Capitol Hill with more. Julia. Melissa, Mark Zuckerberg wrapped up his second consecutive day of five hours of testimony. He fielded questions on everything from election interference to whether Facebook violated the FTC consent decree to, of course, the all-important question of how Facebook manages data. That was the source of the most and the most testy exchanges. Is it possible for Facebook to exist? without collecting and selling our data? Is it possible to exist? Uh, Congressman, we don't sell people's data. So I think that that's an important thing to clarify up front. And then in terms of collecting data, I mean, the whole purpose of the service is that you can share the things that you want with the people around you right, or, or, and your friends. 
Investors seem satisfied with Zuckerberg's responses. The stock moved up by nearly 1% today after Facebook shares gained 4.5% yesterday. And Zuckerberg reiterated that he's expecting regulation of Facebook and the rest of the industry and that if it's done well, it's not a bad thing. I think that it is inevitable that there will need to be some regulation. So my position is not that there should be no regulation, but I also think that you have to be careful about what regulation you put in place. Of course, over the past two days, the 10 hours of testimony did raise a number of big questions for Facebook going forward, including does Facebook have a monopoly on social media? Zuckerberg says no. And is Facebook a media company or a tech company? Zuckerberg says a tech company. These topics are sure to be of great interest moving forward. Melissa, back over to you. All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borson in Washington for us. So let's play a little game here. Well, I like games. games. We love this games. is a new let's, one, let's play them right, especially guys. for Facebook. The question is, do you like or dislike Zuckerberg's testimony? Oh, I understand, because on Facebook, Facebook if you, you, like... somebody, you, you, you like it or you dislike it. <laughs> what are you saying? So I'm going to play the game correctly. I disliked it. Now, I will say that disliked Mr. Zuckerberg, okay. he was extraordinarily well prepared. But I would say every other answer was, Senator, my people will get back to you on that. His people got to get back to a lot of people on a lot of things, because that was the predominant answer. I don't think there were a lot of hardball questions out there. I heard maybe three or four. The stock did rally. But to me, the test will be, Earnings coming up. And Jim Cramer said something last night. What if there's another Cambridge Analytica? And then Karen chimed in. You know what? They haven't really dismissed the fact that there could be another one. And that could be uh, somewhat catastrophic for the shares. Dan, what do you say? Like or dislike? Um, I, I'm going to use a, a meh emoji, uh, I think, no, on Dan. this one. That no. wasn't a choice. <laughs> no, clearly not playing. Clearly, clearly, clearly not playing. Clearly makes his own I mean, rules. I thought it was fine, okay? So you liked it. You liked I thought it was fine. I, I thought oh, he did. like it. I think, All he, right. he, I think he did what he, I think he, I, it could have been a disaster. There was a very low probability right. of that, by all intents and purposes. And, and uh, I think he did well. Um, so the fact oh, that the stock held yesterday's gains, my thought right after that was that it was a good old-fashioned short squeeze, maybe continued. Yeah. I, this stock is range-bound. It is not making a new high in 2018 because I just think that these guys have to play with kids' gloves on so many different areas in which they're going to play. Into the midterm elections, they're going to have to be really careful. That would be one. Man, if there's anything, you know, um, in that regard. So to me, I think the range is probably in. You probably see a stock between, I don't know, 175 and to the downside. Maybe you make a new low at some point. And I don't see how they can be bullish on their earnings call. Well, they it, report it, earnings. I mean, there's no way they can be like, we're going to knock the cover off the ball in the second quarter. Can I play the game, please? Yes, like or dislike. <laughs> I mean, are you Jeez, me? I mean. I liked it. I liked it. I would like it more if he was wearing my shirt. He would look better. Um, but, but obviously, you know, what he said today is not the issue at hand. Um, other than the fact that if you listen to the closing bell and the Jersey senator that came on talked about the, the browser buster legislation that he wants to push through and destroy the Internet. I mean, that's the stuff that worries me. Uh, but it, it, I, wherever these guys fall in line, I hear Dan saying range bound. I, I think absolutely range bound. Um, I don't think this was the moment that suddenly allowed the stock, which has been underperforming for two years, to rise above. I think people are very much struggling with the centralized platform concept. See Facebook maybe as the parasite um, that's feeding off of them. I'm not saying that that's what's going on. On and they didn't just wake up and find out that they were using their data, but that's what I think might be happening, Pete. I'd give it a double like, and here's why. Double, double like. Double double like. like. Yep. like, like. I'd hit it as many times as I could, and here's why. <laughs> they just created something. With all the regulation that's going to come through, right, 
Think about this for a moment. They are building a moat because think about those competitors that want to come in to compete with Facebook. They won't be able to afford moat. it. Facebook can. Stock's going to actually be in another range, but it's going to be a higher range. Except that who's the real competitor? I mean, they're not really all that many competitors out there. They I mean, dominate right now, so nobody. Yeah, so they dominate right now. So, I, I, I understand what you I understand all the points. I think your point about there's no way they're going to be able to say great things into this quarter. I agree with that. The optics would be bad, which is why I think you might fail in earnings. Yeah, just the flip side of what you're saying is when you think about 75, 80% of all online ads are served by Google and Facebook. There's a way to do legislation that really targets those two companies, but then also encourages innovation. So to me, I don't think it's so easy just to say that this moat is going to be created by legislation that they help craft. I don't think our legislatures... I disagree. Okay. And what's I, peak, I completely what's peak, disagree. But what's a peak lifestyle for a company? I mean, history tells you that, I mean, the, you, you only get four or five years right at the center of the, center of the, the roadway. And I think, you know, Facebook's arguably had a lot of that time. And I kind of agree with Dan. To say that there's not going to be competition... Um, Despite but smaller, $2 billion but, around the but world. big regulation always favors bigger companies because they have deeper pockets to deal with regulation. You can afford to deal with new regulation yeah. as opposed to the smaller companies. Okay, so this is a new economy. That's a pretty pedestrian argument. I'm just saying, if you want to think about it in terms of telecom in the 60s, 70s, 80s, that sort of thing, or rails and all this other stuff, transportation. I'm double liking what Dan says right I, I'm here. Just saying, like, double you know, like from me. It's not a lie. Double like. Double like. It's not applicable to other people's. Just did it. Anyway, we're moving on. Please. We're still talking Facebook, but for more on what this means for the future of Facebook and how to value the company, let's bring in Aswath Damodaran, the Dean of Valuation Finance Professor at NYU. Professor, it's great to see you again. It's good to see you, too. You actually bought Facebook yourself uh, back on the 3rd of April, so I guess you say that it's valued I, at what? I, I mean, I, my value was, I was about 180, but I, I really think that this is going to have consequences for Facebook. It would be unrealistic to expect it not to. But I think the consequences are being overstated. I don't think you're going to destroy this company's business model. I think, ultimately, this is a company that trades a free social media site for information about you. I mean, it's hypocritical to claim that your data is being invaded when you give that data to the company for free. You're getting something in return. So I think the business model will endure, but it will endure with restrictions, because those restrictions are going to cost Facebook in terms of higher expenses every year. So when you think about evaluation and, and what Facebook had uh, traded at before versus what it should trade in the future, how do you discount that prior valuation to reflect those new restrictions on its business model? I brought in three things. First is I dropped its margin by 15%. That's a pretty hefty drop in margin. Second, I assume that some advertisers will leave. I assumed about a billion and a half in advertising will leave next year because there are going to be people who are gun-shy, who want to leave. And third, I did assume that there would be a fine of at least a billion dollars. The FTC is going to make Facebook an example. With those costs built in, I still think it's got a fundamentally good business model, and my value reflects that. So that, that's a pretty big discount. Um, on the, on the margin, from 85% down to 70 Wouldn't you assume that during this transitionary period that they're also going to see a decrease in users? They're already seeing it in North America. Uh, and we know that globally, users are monetized at a much lower rate. So couldn't this be Thanks. a big inflection point for this company if you were to see revenue growth slow down and costs go up dramatically? There's a scaling problem they already face with or without this data scandal. They have 73% of all North Americans on their user roles. You can't grow much faster here. 
So there is this leveling off, and some of this precedes the data scandal, where Facebook changed its feed to emphasize user interaction. Market punished it when that happened, but I think you're going to see more self-imposed restrictions that are going to reduce their advertising revenues. And that's partly why I brought their growth rates down and reduced their revenues, at least for the next couple of years. Because I think there is going to be a period where they've got to pull back and kind of recalibrate their model. I, I don't think they want to abandon the model or change it. I don't see a subscription-based model as the answer to this. But I think they're going to recalibrate the model, and it's going to cost them in terms of higher operating expenses and lower growth. So they're going to get that pincer movement. So some people are going to be disappointed when they see those numbers come in next quarter and, and the quarter after because they're so used to seeing 40 to 50 percent growth year to year. You're not going to see that anymore. 182 is what you expect in 12 months or so. What's your time frame on that number? Well, the value, I mean, when you value a company, you actually value it as of today. So basically, you, okay, you'd so have to... Okay, so today it should be valued at 182. 180. So basically, the expected okay. price a year from now would be about 180, 195 or 200. Oh, okay. And um, we asked the traders here what they thought of Mark Zuckerberg's testimony, if they liked it or disliked it. So, Professor, we'll ask the same question to you. Like or dislike how Mark Zuckerberg did? I, I liked it because it's Capitol Hill. It's a lot of posturing. And he postured just the right amount. I mean, the reality is nothing good ever comes out of Capitol Hill testimony, but bad things can happen, and nothing bad happened over the two days. And to me, that's good news. All right. Professor, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Aswath Demodorin. Of what NYU. color do you call that shirt there, Melms? Coral. Coral is what I would right say. Away. Coral. Right away. You yes. just blurted that out. Coral. You like your shirt better than yours? I have eyes. I can see the it's shirt. It's hard to match a tie with that shirt. That's or, or that problem. shirt. Or that or shirt. shirt. Can we have yeah. one last uh, let, Can I say trade, something? Please. Everything he just said sounded like lower multiple. So people that say that 17 times earnings for Facebook is too cheap, you have to start thinking about it. What's the multiple on this company with, that has lower margins and possibly is losing their top line somewhat? Yeah, I just want to add one thing. You know, there are other levers for these guys to pull. They have WhatsApp. Yes. They've never charged for it. Maybe they get into payments or peer-to-peer. -peer. There's a lot of stuff that's going to be good that comes out of this for the future of this company. So if you can hang around in an area trading at the high teens, even if you have growth rates coming in, you're probably going to get paid back at some point in the not-so-distant future. So you future. like the stuff? I'm liking Double what like they it, will. They, this company <laughs> will come out a better company with a better prospect for their brand than they had, let's say, a year ago. All right. Coming up, Pina Jarian here stepping up to the plate to pitch one beaten down oil stock that is in a correction, but he says the pain is over. He'll tell us why he's so excited. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Except if you're a GE shareholder, in which case, life is a nightmare. A new report from Cowan says it's about to get worse. Plus, Bank of America said the Bitcoin bubble is popping. But the former head of J.P. Morgan's commodities desk says it ain't no bubble, it's a bottom. And he'll explain why when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for an instant replay. Back in November, Pete stepped up to the plate to pitch Target. I like Target. I think it's too cheap. You can see where it's kind of been holding down in here. It almost hit those levels before when it pulled back. We didn't have to hit those levels, but you're starting to see a little bit of a perk right now. I like what we're seeing. I think this stock's going to get up towards 70 once again. 
And that was a great call. Target is back up around 70 bucks and up 18% since that pitch. What do you do now, Pete? Hold on to it. This stock's going higher. It's still in the mid-teens, and this has great growth prospects. Obviously, when you go onto the e-commerce side of things, it's been 20-plus percent there. Their margins have been strong. I think this is a company based upon where it is right now versus the discount on the S&P. There's plenty of upside. This was a stock that got up to 79 before this pullback. I think it goes through 80 now. Well, since you have the hot hand, Pete, why don't you pitch us oh, another cool. yep. fast pitch? All right. Ready to do it. All right. So we're going to the energy space. And I talked earlier about how the fact that I've been adding to the energy space. This is one of the names that I grabbed actually a couple of months ago. Stock has not performed well yet for me, but it's still hanging around the 77 level. It's ExxonMobil. Here's what I like, as I always start off with management. New CEO, Tillerson's gone. Woods is in. This guy's doing a great job. He's been at the company since 1992, knows all the ins and outs. So they just basically passed the baton to another great $25 billion annually these guys are going to be spending. So this is a company that's willing to put the money in and move along and move this company to the upside. Now, catching up with the oil rally. The disconnect has been there for a really long time. This is part of the fundamental story here. This stock was trading near these same levels. I don't know if we've got that other one, but near these same levels when oil was trading closer to $30, $28 actually, stock was still trading down around the same level. So this is something where I think this disconnect is going to start to close. I think you're going to see the stock start to move to the upside. The fundamental story is all intact. They have been buying back shares. Over 10 years, they've shrunk their share count 20%. You look at the PE level, that's great. Cash flows, that's where the growth is going to come from. The cash flows have been phenomenal. This is a company that's got $40 billion or $30 billion right now, I think, in cash flows. That's going to double by 2025. So that's the goals that Exxon has set out there. I think they're going to be able to execute on that. This stock is way too cheap at $77. My quick question would be the lack of earnings growth. The valuation yeah. is reasonable, but you don't, haven't really seen the EPS growth that you'd probably see out of maybe a ConocoPhillips. Right. Yeah, that part of it's a little bit disappointing. And their revenues, if you go back several years, Guy, revenues were much higher than they are now. But this is a company that I think still can grow. They are spending for that growth into the future. They've really put the money out there. And actually, you look at the cash flows. If that's right, if that doubles by 2025, this company is going to continue to make acquisitions, and there's all kinds of different other types of things they can do with that CapEx that they're spending right now. Pete, you've chosen Exxon, but there's other big integrateds yep. in the space. So I assume you have to like this more than Exxon um, or even a Royal Dutch Shell, which I think are much more efficient companies. Yes? Yeah, I think this is an extremely efficient company. A lot of people don't really think so, but I do. I think the efficiency of what they're doing is unbelievable. I like other names as well, Tim. I just think Exxon's the name that actually has the most upside from here. What are the other names you like? Conoco, right? That was I own Conoco. Yeah. I own Exxon. I've got a different pieces. I actually, I mentioned earlier, but I bought Philips today, right. PSX. So I'm in a few of the different names. I've also got the OIH. All right, enough talk. Time to vote. Are you buying Pete's pitch on ExxonMobil? Tim, what do you say? You know, I like the space, and I think Pete's right. This company could go higher, but I am a seller of Exxon, oh. at least relative to the peer group. I'm sorry, Pete. That's, well, Pete. that's that, okay. Oh, that is Pete. I'm sorry. <laughs> Pete, I'm sorry. I'm really right. sorry. Hey. But um, bottom line is I think Exxon is not very efficient. I think ultimately the good news for them is the whole sector is focused on capital give back, and they are doing that. Dan, what do you say? Uh, I don't know, Jack, about oil stocks, but I'm buying it because, you know, Pete has just been repeatedly bullish on this name and as it's been bottoming over the last couple weeks, and he made a lot of good points, and uh -huh. uh, he seems pretty convicted, so I'm a buyer. Seven, you don't know what about Jack? Yeah. Jack. Jack kind of that express. <laughs> so Merrill Lynch, with it, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, Bank just America. yesterday Family. added them to their U.S. one list, $100 price. That's a buy or sell. 
It doesn't say anything. I'm, I said I'm a buyer. Well, then I'm going to say write it, it on your sign. I mean, you write it on your sign. I have no write it. I wrote other things and on your sign. And you wonder why I criticized you. You know, it held 74 and a half, 75 a number of times to Dan's point. So I'm on uh, the buy camp, even though I don't. I don't know this jack guy either. <laughs> Two buys, one sell on Exxon. Uh, but we want to hear from you. So head to Twitter right now. Vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. We will reveal the results later on in the show. Plus, crypto getting crushed this year as Bitcoin plunges more than 60% from its December highs. But one former J.P. Morgan trader says the bottom is in. He'll be here to tell us what has him so bullish. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Bitcoin is still struggling to get back to 7,000. And word on the street is that the Bitcoin bubble is actually bursting. Hmm. Bob Pisani's got the details from the NYSE. Bob. Hello, Melissa. Bank of America's chief investment strategist, Michael Hartnett, you all know him, has been getting some attention in the last day or so for this chart. Take a look here. A lot going on. Implying Bitcoin should join the list of the greatest asset price bubbles in history, including the Dutch tulip bubble, the Mississippi Company and South Sea Company in the 18th century, gold in the 1970s, the stock market rally in 29. Just look at the chart here. Bitcoin appears to be the biggest bubble of them all. That's the high one. At its highest level, it was nearly 60 times the value of three years ago. Now, the Dutch tulip mania, by the way, that was at its height in the 1630s. That was only 40 times higher than three years before. The Mississippi Company that was formed as a monopoly when the French controlled Louisiana and the southern United States in the 1720s was 30 times higher than its early years. So nothing else comes close to Bitcoin. Now, we all know these kinds of charts are a staple of Wall Street and the implications that you're supposed to draw this mental line and assume Bitcoin will fall dramatically as well. The problem is it may not go to nothing or like the stock market in 1929, it may fall big and then just come back again. Here's my thoughts. It's still too early in this cycle for this to definitely be called a bubble. Call it what we experienced perhaps a, a bubbleette. I don't know. This is like the internet in the 1980s. A lot of people tell me that there may be a lot more room to go. So I think it's a little too early to say the bubble is completely burst. Melissa, back to you. All right. Thank you very much, Bob Pisani. For more on this, let's bring in a former J.P. Morgan trader who went all in on crypto. Danny Masters is the chairman of CoinShares, which launched the world's first publicly traded Bitcoin and Ethereum funds. Danny, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you. Thanks, you launched this fund back in 2014, so you've been an early believer in Bitcoin yeah. in this after successful career at J.P. Morgan as a commodities trader, right? So when you take a look at a chart like that that Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, had put out, what do you think? Um, I wonder where Bank of America were on the very left side of that chart, because I don't remember the bullish call on the way up to start with. Um, look, I think um, crypto is a difficult marketplace to analyze. There are metrics that don't exist in the markets that we you know, traditionally know and love. And so I look at people like Chris Beninsky, who I know is a guest here frequently, like Spencer Bogart, who is uh, a Carlotta uh, Ochoa, who works for us, um, Chris Bendixson, you know, people who've been around crypto for five years will give you a very, very different feel than a this chart looks like this chart kind of approach. So, so uh, it's a tough one to call. How do you actually trade crypto? And I asked you that because people want to make parallels or, or try and think of the way in which you trade crypto like another commodity, perhaps you yeah. were a commodities trader. Can you make that parallel or is it a completely different animal in terms of what drives the, the trade on a day-to-day -day basis? I think my, thirds, my first ever thoughts in crypto uh, uh, were sort of parallel to my first thoughts in oil. Um, uh, we started my company uh, way back and it was uh, commodities focused. And you know, I thought that the, the depletion uh, that was pervasive and, and, and the, the emergence of China in the early 2000s 
would lead to a scenario that would, you know, rally, rally commodities. And I didn't think that we'd find the answer and the proof for many years to come. And I think that's a parallel with cryptocurrency. I think that the, the setup is there, and I think that the story um, is convincing, and the technology is convincing. We may not know the proof for another 10 years. Is it concerning, though, that in that parallel, I mean, back then for oil, there was a use case for oil. People were using it for various applications. But right now, the use case for cryptocurrency, even as a currency, is questionable. And even as a store of value, if you take a look at the volatility, may be questionable as well. Yeah, I, I think if you, if you look back um, to the commodity parallel, um, I remember uh, uh, the outbreak of the Gulf War in uh, August 91, I think, or the land war. You know, we saw moves in oil that we'd never seen before, uh, overnight moves. And, you know, that changed the whole dynamic and it opened up a whole new area for oil prices to go. So, you know, I don't think it's, you know, you can necessarily look back at those things and, and, and draw those exact parallels. Look, the use cases for crypto are Bitcoin is disrupting money and gold. Ethereum is disrupting the formation of capital. You know, there are other protocols that are disrupting identity, you know, um, identity provenance um, and so on. And these things are really, um, you know, unproven yet, but quite promising. So, Daniel, let's talk about that use case for Bitcoin because yeah. it is the largest crypto. It seems like some of the smartest minds have really just hunkered down here and they're saying, OK, we know what the knocks are. It's slow and this yeah. or that or whatever. You know, so when you think about something like the Night Lightning Network, which is developed to actually yeah. speed up transactions. Yeah. We've seen transactions fall dramatically since the crypto. Is it the tail wagging the dog? What's going on here? How do we get these use cases to go? And are these brilliant minds on to the right stuff? Are they focused on the right stuff? Yeah, look, I, I, one of the things that struck me about the whole crypto universe um, when I first got get involved, I know another one of your guests, Dan Moorhead, and I were in Amsterdam in early 2014, and I think we were the only two financial guys in a conference of 2,000 developers and crypto geeks. And, and one thing I would say for sure, this is a very intelligent, ideological, smart uh, group of young people that has really driven uh, this whole technology. And they are, you know, they're, they're, they're what really um, drive it, I think. But so, Danny, on that, so I, I agree with that. And I totally agree in the use case for crypto and why, you know, the decentralized ledger is, is very good for a lot of business. Yeah. But is Bitcoin going to be the horse to ride? So that's that's my only issue, yeah. because a lot of people are just grabbing onto that which is there. But do you see this as a, you know, as the commodity for the crypto space that will live out? Look, I think Bitcoin has a very special and unique position in crypto. Obviously, Satoshi's original white paper, um, uh, it's, it's early emergence. You know, when we started, Bitcoin was the only cryptocurrency right. uh, in existence. So I think it's always going to have that special space. And what we've always thought, and I think it's proving the point with Lightning, actually, is that in as much as you see other uh, tweaks and developments that happen perhaps in alternative currencies, like we saw segregated witness and other capacity expanding uh, event happen in Litecoin before it happened in Bitcoin, um, I think all these things do actually add to, uh, to, to the use cases of Bitcoin and make it better. So walk us through your fund a little bit. I mean, it's been a rough year for, I yeah. mean, you mentioned Pantera, rough year for Pantera <clears throat> so far. Any fund invested in cryptocurrency. So do you, do you hold fiat in times like this? Is that the way you yeah. offset some of the risk? Um, or? I can't get into the, the specific performance okay. metrics of our funds for some regulatory sure. reasons, but I would tell you we had a very strong year last year and we've Great. had a strong year this year as well. Um, so, yeah, we certainly, um, we certainly are very flexible in what we do. We can be all, all cash. 
uh, from time to time if we so choose, even short. Are you, all, are you in all cash? We, we were in one of our funds, yeah. You were, since, okay. Since a little bit early, but we yeah. were by, by December, yeah. And at this point, what are some of the cryptocurrencies that, that you think have the biggest upside for this year? You know, at the moment, there's been um, a lot of compression uh, for all of the altcoins. Um, uh, they've, they've kind of suffered uh, exponentially. And that, I think, is because, you know, what drives Litecoin is really, for example, the overflow from Bitcoin. So when Bitcoin transaction fees get very high, like they did in SEM because there's so much traffic, that puts more fee pressure, more fee uh, revenue into Litecoin, uh, and that increases. You know, Ethereum Classic would be the exact same parallel uh, for Ethereum. So there's like a trickle down. Yeah, so, uh -huh. so, so those, those other altcoins have been quite depressed. Um, for me, I think there are, there are, there are really two uh, main plays at the moment. I like Bitcoin. I think we've seen a lot of liquidation. I think we've seen a lot of leverage come out of the market, which was probably a little too risky for some people to hold on to, and that's come out. So I, I sort of like Bitcoin, if we can call it the reserve currency of crypto, so right. fancy term, but let's use that one for, for the moment. And then I think there are select projects in the uh, in the altcoin space, uh, in the ICO you know, coin space, the ERC20 space, for example. Um, you know, I think when you look at good, good developers, good idea, non-forkable idea, a blockchain-specific idea, uh, you can select tokens that have been beaten down and, and are, quite, are quite attractive at these prices. Okay. But it's more of a stock, picker, stock pickers kind of market. But you're right not going to give us any of the ICOs that you're in? Uh, I would tell you a couple of companies I like. I like Aventus Coin. It's a, a, an event ticketing. Uh, so, now, we, we are owners of that yes. company. Um, we also like Commerce Block, which is a, a Bit175 federated sidechain protocol. We're also investing in that company heavily. Um, both of those companies, you know, under the hood, like all the good companies, uh, will develop usable technology in the next 9 to 18 months. And I think that's what the market needs to get some, some confidence back. Danny, it's been great to have you with us. We hope you'll come back. You're very welcome. Danny Masters. Thank you. What do you say? So we had a melt up November, December, and we've had a crash back in January, and now it's been kind of a, this is in, in, let's just talk Bitcoin for a second. Now it's been a slow bleed. It's probably going to reverse that entire move back towards 5,000. This is my just guess, okay? But here's the thing. Keep an eye on all these projects. Danny said it like four times. Remember that announcement that Coinbase made last, last week? Mm -hmm. They are starting a venture fund to invest right. in projects. I think this is really <clears throat> the bull case for these coins, especially the big ones. Yeah, I think Danny's right. You have a dynamic here where I think you have to let see some of these platforms go to work as well and let let that technology play out. But I'm a big believer. I, I just the question is, is Bitcoin the horse to ride all the way through is obviously the bigger challenge, I think, for people that are just playing in that space. Yep. Coming up, make or break time for the big banks as J.P. Morgan, Citigroup and Wells Fargo gear up to report earnings this week. We will tell you how the traders are playing the space. Much more fast money. Still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Bank earnings kicking off this week with a slew of big names like J.P. Morgan, City, and Wells set to report. And the options market is implying some pretty interesting moves for the group. Mike Coe is here at the Plasma with more on what to expect. Hi, Mike. Hi there. So let's take a look at what's going on in this sector generally first. XLF saw some above average activity uh, this week. Today we saw approximately one and a half times. That's the wrong thing right there. Why don't we put a circle on that? One and a half times the average daily volume. Yesterday, actually, it was about two times the average daily volume. Not surprising when we have these kinds of moves. These were taking a look at basically the big money center banks. These are the kinds of moves that we're expecting. I think Wells Fargo right here is probably the one that we want to take a look at. And the reason is, of course, because this is the one that also has a little bit of idiosyncratic risk going on. So what's going on with Wells Fargo? Constantly, we have these controversies coming out, and the stock basically 
sells off on the bad news, but then actually it recovers a little bit. And recently, we obviously, along with the rest of financials, have seen some terrible performance and then news this week about a potential billion-dollar fine coming out of Europe. And also interesting is that this is where all of the activity and options seems to be concentrated. Right around this 50 strike today, the April 50s were the ones that were most active. Obviously, a lot of bad news in the space, but I actually think we might catch a little bit of a bounce here. Uh, well, you know, Mike, we were going to invite you over. I wasn't even going we, we, I wasn't going to ask the trader. I was just going to come, come on but over, Mike. We're, we're out of time. But. We're out of time. Sorry, uh, Mike. Sad. Um, Pete, bad. bank earnings. You yeah. excited for them? Yeah, I am. And the flows have been there. And we talked at the very top of the show. I mean, this actually is finally going to be the distraction, I think, because if these numbers are as good as I'm anticipating them to be, and Mike mentioned the XLF, huge call buying in there. I expect to see some upside. All right, for more options action, check out the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Still ahead, GE going from bad to worse in the last year. As a company sinks more than 50%, sheds nearly $150 billion in market cap, it could run into even bigger trouble next week when reports earnings. We've got the details right after this. Fast money time for our call of the day. Cowan putting out a note on General Electric ahead of its earnings next week. The firm saying the company's dividend still not safe as it gets ready to restate financials for 2017. They also say they're going to report eight cents a share, and that's versus the streets, 12 cents a share. So they're expecting a big miss. What do you say? Yeah, I think that's, first of all, that's a fair call. I, I think the big issue with GE right now is having any vision on what kind of, uh, you know, write-offs they're going to have to have for their insurance business and for GE Capital, I should say. So um, that's what's dogging the dividend, because I think on a free cash flow basis, mm -hmm. without that, I think you can make that call that they can still pay. You're still in it. Still in it. Yep. Still in it. Okay. Up next, final trade. You like Tony Braxton, right? Oh, uh, <laughs> buddy. Right? Dude, she's right, hot, man. Right, right, right. All right. Very so, go with it, young lady. The fast pitch. Right. Sorry, Pete. You're a big loser. That's okay. 56% of you said no. They're not with you on your pitch for Exxon Mobil. It hurts a little. When is she coming on? Final trade time, Pete. <laughs> I'm going to go with Marvell. Chips, baby. Chips. Tim Seymour. We know what else has been singing the blues is Yandex on the whole Russia move, I think. I think this is your time. Listen to the dulcet tones of Tony Braxton. Dan. Yes, yeah, snap think. I think you'd buy it here. It's filled in that entire earnings gap from February. I think it's Whoa, long. that's cold. Guy Dami. Pedro got me thinking about that energy space, and then Timmy really? chimed in. And, I just, and then Dan said he knew Jack. I really, I know Jack as well, but Halliburton. I bet you do. Valuation, Tim. <laughs> I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks for oh, watching. Man. See you back here again tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.